I'm Cassandra. And I'm Bailey. And you're listening to Coffee, Spooks, and Murder. <laughs> welcome, welcome. <laughs> There's no bag. Just welcome. <laughs> uh, this is take two of our opening because <laughs> yeah, um... I fucked up. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, for <laughs> and then me goes. <laughs> Do you want the fan? <laughs> and this coffee's not helping. <laughs> they actually drink coffee, people. They actually drink coffee. <laughs> So that third person, that third voice, is my wonderful and beautiful, amazing sister. Hi! This is my sister, Cindy, and this is the one who's listened to one episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought, thought we shouted out like six times. Okay, hey, I'll listen to the next six episodes. <laughs> You're good. Wow. <laughs> Calling you out. Oh, oh. I do like you. <laughs> you can't even say my name right. I can't even, I don't even know what kind of lie to tell you guys. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh. No, it's okay. We uh we call out Molo every episode. <laughs> and he still doesn't listen. I'm just waiting for him to like take a listen to the episode. He'll be like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. like, He's like, like, We're it'll fighting. Be, it'll be four years from now. <laughs> Let it go, babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long. But uh, welcome, sister. Thank you. Can't wait to hear your story. Yes. Yeah, so this is um, true crime. So usually we shoot the shit the first like 10 minutes or so. But I don't know if we'll have enough time to do that because this uh, true crime that I'm doing is it, it's going to be a two part. Yes. Disclaimer right now. So sorry, you'll have to wait a full week before you get part two. <laughs> yeah, because we don't have time this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Cassie... Is there going to be a cliffhanger? There is. Well, mm, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So, shall, I guess we could just jump right into it if you want to. Please, share. <laughs> <laughs> I like your input. Well, for... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. it's true. I always tell Bailey, I'm like, uh, you have to talk really close and I have to talk very far. <laughs> I'm loud. <laughs> Well, for those who didn't listen to last week's episode, this one is actually Cassie, who inspired you to write the story. So this episode was actually um, requested by my son. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the hell he knows about it. It's actually, I think he found it from Netflix, because Netflix is a docuseries about this serial killer. Ooh, is it new? Yeah, it's new. So my son saw it and he was like, mom, you should really do this one on your next true crime. So I did my research and there is a lot of information. And research, you mean like watch the documentary? (laughs) (laughs) That's on Netflix. (laughs) Well, listen here. I did watch it. I also did my research too. You bitch. Look at my papers. It's 13 pages. <laughs> I know. And then loses them. And then when we have to. And then reprints. I believe that. I believe that. No, I have a, I have a few guesses who it's going to be because I'm into those Netflix docuseries. I know. As soon as I know, as soon as I was like, it's going to be Netflix, I was like, Bailey's going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I watch a lot of that. I just watched the um, the Abercrombie 
What's that? It's a, it's a documentary on, it's called White Hot, and it's about Abercrombie and, oh my god, I can't say it, AF, <laughs> and uh, how they used to discriminate against people of color, or you had to be hot and white to work at their store. Oh, I've actually seen the commercial, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Should we say what we're drinking first? Yeah, I was just, I was just yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> so I guess of I guess of honor can go first. Yes. What are you drinking, sister? Oh damn it! I should listen to your podcast before <laughs> <laughs> we introduce our coffees. Yeah, so you can introduce yourself and your coffee if oh. you want. Caramel macchiato. Yes, sister Styles. Oh yes, because she cut me off <laughs> of the order. <laughs> listen, you surprised guest me, okay? It was a surprise. <laughs> it was a wonderful surprise. <laughs> no, I just showed up at her host and I was like, yeah, Bailey's here, podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am. Yes. yes, and now we've wrangled you into being a guest host. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can what time drink, is it? <laughs> you can drink your, oh yeah, she I might still have, have to, to go leave. pick up my daughter. Yeah. Bailey, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a grande iced caramel macchiato with coconut milk and mocha. Yes, new drink. Yeah, new drink. And then I am trying something new today. I am trying a grande salted caramel sweet cream foam with caramel drizzle <laughs> and blonde blonde um, espresso. Yeah, Don't you know how you ordered your drinks? No, because I just went on a whim today. And you just like said... That milk and that type of yes. like I don't understand because I I because I, I, I don't drink I drink lactose free milk so I went on there and I was like oh sweet so you just get it as it is as it is and oh. then I do all the add ons after oh, okay. or like the substitutions, the substitutions. Gotcha. yeah yeah that's how we order our coffee mm-hmm. Cassie's lactose free I'm dairy free we're just free. And I'm money free <laughs> <laughs> listen we're trying to do sponsors okay yeah. that's something Bailey and I have talked about yes. so this is episode 12 and we're doing true crime hope you guys liked last week's episode which was john list Mm -hmm. that was a really awesome one yeah (laughs) and mine is on the top of that list so i'm just gonna name my sources which is something we have to get better at by the way i know i'm gonna put my sources in our show notes google (laughs) Uh. that's what one of my sources it literally said (laughs) books.google.com They said it, and Bailey's like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's what it said. Okay, so mine is Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and then the Netflix show, the docuseries. So my true crime this week is The Killer Clown, a.k.a. John Wayne Gacy Jr. Oh, my God. I've been telling Nolo, I'm like, I'm going to watch this, I'm going to watch this, I'm going to watch this. And he keeps saying, he's like, we'll watch it later. And then today, I was like, let's watch it. He's like, I never said I wanted to watch it. (laughs) It's... Killer clown? Yeah, so there is a reason why he is also he's associated with a clown as, as a killer clown. And I'll get into it in my 13 pages of notes that I have. Um, so this Netflix show, because I also refer to this to that Netflix show as well, because a lot of the research it didn't cover what was there. So mm-hmm. in this docuseries they have it's like five episodes or something. Mm-hmm. And in this show, they actually have um, recordings of John Wayne Gacy, like retelling what he did. They go through the victims. They go through all of that. At the end, I almost cried because it's so sad. Like they named the victim. Watched this documentary. I did. He did watched my son it? watch it? No, he wants to, and I said hell no. 
So how did he know about it? Because he saw the preview for it. Because when he goes on the, when you click on it, it shows the trailer. And so he saw the trailer and he was like, oh, that looks cool. And because he's into scary stuff, mm -hmm. he thinks it's scary. And I told Julian, I said, you're yeah, not it watching scary. it. It's real I said, life. I, said, I was like, I was like <laughs> yeah. no, you're not watching That's scary. it. And yeah, I told him, I was like, you're not watching it. And he's like, but it looks like it looks really interesting. But he is the one who recommended me to do this or he requested mm -hmm. it. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing gotcha. it. Do you know who John Gacy is? No. We have a true crime virgin here. Oh, sister. He's so, one of the big ones. Yeah, he's big. one of the most um, top serial killers in America. Well, I'm really surprised that I didn't know about this documentary about Netflix because you know what I do at home. <laughs> it's just <laughs> didn't watch TV. It literally, it literally oh, just came out. Where did this slip to the cracks? Yeah. Like, yeah, it just came out. And if you and if you go and you on the Netflix, like it's um. You know how they show like what's new or whatever? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's there. It's one of the top. And it, it it shows a, a half picture of him as a clown and half picture of him normal. Ooh, I think I've seen that one. Yes. So you have to go watch it because it actually has um, some of his victims who survived mm -hmm. on there, and they actually talk about what they went through and what happened. So, be so what happened? So because so this is <laughs> so like I said, this is going to be a two part. The first part is basically going to know who John Wayne Gacy was, what he went through in his childhood, and what led up to what he started doing to the victims. Mm -hmm. So. Because this is going to be two parts, the first one's going to be just to get to know him. Okay? Don't feel sorry for this asshole either, because we can feel sorry for the kid of John Wayne Gacy, but not the adult. Yes. Yeah. So it's okay. Many... Good thing I have to go. Oh, been... <laughs> my God. I made it through the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, next time we're recording, it. you're going to stay for longer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, say bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Love you. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Like I said, this is episode 12. So we're just going to get to the first part. Second part is going to come in a week later. I handwritten my notes and my hand <laughs> is very, very sore. So we're just going to get into it. Okay, so if you have not heard of John Wayne Gacy, let me give you a short reader's digest of who this piece of shit was. Uh, John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer and pedophile who raped, tortured, and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. What also makes this fucker even more disturbed and fucked up is that he also dressed as a clown. This jackass would dress as a clown, perform at children's hospitals and at charitable events as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. Uh, he got the name The Killer Clown because he dressed like a clown, and also in his home, he also had pictures of clowns as well. Just super fucked. Yeah. And in that Netflix docuseries, you kind because they go into more of the police records and police videos of what was like what they found and stuff. Mm -hmm. After he was arrested, they looked inside his room and they showed the pictures and he had statues of clowns. He had pictures of clowns. Like it was it was just super fucked up. That's so like you know what, you can be into clowns, be a clown. But like whose wife lets you decorate the house like <laughs> Right? Because <laughs> he was married when he was arrested, right? Or was he divorced? So he was divorced. Oh, okay. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll kind of get into it. I do make a comment about, like, his house. The way that he also had some of his paintings on his walls mm -hmm. was made to look not distorted, but 
it was to fuck you up. There was like, I think it was yellow, orange on like a brown wall. Like, you know, like back in the seventies, you had those panels. Yeah. You had those like wooden fake panels, right? Yeah. You know how in fun houses, there's these like long lines there, like go down and they go up and they're like just wavy lines. He had that on some of his walls. That's what I was going to say is it sounds like he's making his house like a fun house yeah and like the the pictures of these clowns some of them were pretty fucking creepy like clowns are already creepy <laughs> i don't know if you remember the era of scary clowns that would come up at oh, night oh like 2016 yeah is that what it, yeah yeah i think so killer clown yeah so oh my god show up left brain center yeah no fuck that yeah that's where everything turned around <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're just gonna kind of discuss the early years of john wayne gacy so we're just gonna kind of give you a little bit of background like i said i feel bad for the john wayne gacy when he was little mm-hmm. i do not feel bad for john wayne gacy when he was like eight and up eight and up. <laughs> to be specific eight no, years but... old you <laughs> piece of shit <laughs> your garbage Uh, (laughs) but well i'll give you a reason why so a lot of so like i said like my sources were murderpedia and wikipedia Mm -hmm. and it was because the two sources that we had it actually has some information from like books or articles that were written Mm -hmm. and they'll have them all separated in different sections and then wikipedia is just like a full-blown like this is what happened this Mm -hmm. section's for this this section is for that if you want to know and so when you're trying to combine the two so we can do this research in this podcast (laughs) do you want a pillow bailey's lounging out again Hard days at the office. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> um, so trying to put them all together, it's it's quite time. It, it's like, it's oh, yeah. it's time. You know, this, it takes time. Yeah. Well, being like one of the most notorious serial yes. killers out there, there's, God forbid, so much information. Like, yes. We are not true crime authors who have done, you know... Yeah, we haven't done, like, our, like, what we're doing is re, we are relaying message, like, uh, information from mm-hmm. people who have done books and people who have done the research. Yeah. So, shout out to you guys, because this case is super fucked up. Oh, yeah. Cassie's got 14 pages of handwritten notes, and it Taking probably it. just grazes over. ASMR. <laughs> just grazes <laughs> over the info that, uh. You that know, this, I have, yeah. this guy has like yeah and it's it's really messed up and if you have a chance to look at that netflix like i highly suggest it if you're into true crime it really gives into the super fucked up mentality that john wayne gacy had um because he like he, even his laugh in some of those recordings that he's talking about it's super fucked up oh yeah So, okay, so in his early years, uh, so John Wayne Gacy Jr., uh, because he's a junior, was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17, 1942. He was the second child and only son to Marion Elaine and John Stanley Gacy Sr. John Sr., the dad, was an auto repair machinist and World War I veteran. Marion was a homemaker. um, Family was born of Polish and Danish descent, and the family was of Catholic religion. John Sr. was reported to be an alcoholic who had abused John Wayne Gacy Jr. Mm -hmm. The dad would call John uh, um, a sissy, mama's boy, and say you would probably grow up queer, 
which made John to become close with his sisters and mom. They would call him Johnny. And despite this abuse from his dad, John still loved his dad very much, mm-hmm. but would say he was never good enough in his dad's eyes. Uh, trauma breeds trauma. Exactly. Like, you got to watch what you say to your kids. John Sr. was not, doesn't sound to be a very good dad or role mm-hmm. model for John Wayne Gacy. And this dad also had his basement that he would go to, and that's where the dad would go and drink. And then every time that he would come out of there, he would be abusive. Yeah. Well, back in, you know, if he was World War One and stuff, you know, his dad was probably the exact same with him. And Yeah. So, uh, hopefully the new generations kind of grow up. I think now it's, like, that big movement, like, men are allowed to have feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, hopefully, you know, a few generations from now, it's not stigmatized for guys to have feelings exactly, or be yeah. close to their mom or mm-hmm. be into quote-unquote feminine yeah. things. Yeah. And it should just be human things. Absolutely. So it was very kind of old school mentality mixed with alcoholism and abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, around 1949, John was about seven years old. John Sr. was informed that his, um, his boy, John, Junior and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. John's dad whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. So a razor strap, I knew you would ask. (laughs) So back in the day, they had these razor straps. They were flexible strips of leather, um, canvas, denim fabric, or soft material used to straighten and polish the blade of a straight knife. Or straight razor. So do you remember... So they do these at the barber Mm -hmm. where they have that little razor and they go on that strap. They sharpen it. They go up and down. And then they, like, they put, like, a hot hot towel on your face and then they'll go and they'll hand shave your face. Yeah. That big leather strap is what they would use to sharpen the razor. And that's how they used to shave back in the day. Mm -hmm. And he used to use that to beat him up. Or to hit him. It's, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, that same year, a family friend and contractor would sometimes molest John Jr. in his truck. John never told his dad or mom as he was afraid his dad would blame him or be judged. And you know what? His dad probably would have. Absolutely. Yes. By the sound of it, it sounds like he would have honestly yeah. would have done that. Uh, John was an overweight and unathletic child. Because of a heart condition, he was told to avoid all sports at school. When uh, when Junior was about 11, he had been struck on the forehead by a swing. This had resulted to John getting a blood clot in his brain. Mm-hmm. This was undiscovered until he was about 16 years old. He began to suffer blackouts. So on Wikipedia, it said that he was starting to suffer blackouts at 16. But um, on Murderpedia, it was saying that he was already suffering from blackouts. Before? Before they mm-hmm. found the blood clot. That's uh, that's another step, s- step one of the triad, the murder yep. triad. Yeah, hitting the head. That's where yeah. it happens. Uh, John spent almost a year in the hospital, so that had affected his grades in school. John's dad had suspected that he was faking and suspected this was an effort for John to gain sympathy and attention and even went as far to accuse him of faking his condition when he was lying in the hospital bed. John's mom, sisters, and close friends never doubted his illness. 
John's medical condition was never conclusively diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like you know what? I hit, like, head traumas are so unpredictable. Like, yes. You could you hear stories of people who were in bar fights and they mm-hmm. push a person, they hit their head on the table, and they're, yep. they're dead. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. And there's so many connections in your brain. Like, I oh, could, yeah. I could see how, like, emotions or something would just be affected by yeah oh yeah no i'm i'm 90 percent sure i have a undiagnosed concussion what yeah i uh so people whose dads have boats you'll understand <laughs> what i'm talking about but my dad likes to whip my brothers and i on the tube oh behind the boat. okay you're not gonna and, become a serial killer are you oh god i hope not <laughs> I haven't killed any animals yet. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. Phew. Um, But no, I I went on with two of my friends, and they were bigger guys than me. Mm -hmm. And I got sandwiched one knee to the head, and then the other (gasps) fell on top. Oh, no. And we got flipped on the tube. And we, we got home from the campsite they were at, and I slept for probably, like, Worst thing you can do. Yeah, I slept for like 18 hours on the couch. Oh my god! And I woke up and there was like, a, like I was throwing up and stuff. That's a concussion. Yeah, and I woke up and I I feel different from before it happened. Like do you less like unable to concentrate more and like? Oh shit! Yeah, I right after it happened, I even noticed like my grades dropped and wow, it was a bad. A bad adventure. Well, well, there's that um, movie that Will Smith did, mm-hmm. and it's actually based on a true story because there was a doctor who did discover what concussions were mm-hmm. because there was a lot of football players. Like it was basically, it was mostly based in football players where they would be playing and they would be hit because in football, especially back in the day, there's not as much, there wasn't as much rules and there wasn't as much padding as they are nowadays. And in that movie they had noticed that some of these older players were suicidal. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, like, going crazy. And he finally discovered and said, well, no, now we need to have these in place because if you do have a concussion, you need to give yourself time before you can go back out there. Because when you get a concussion, it's basically your brain is still shaking in your head Mm -hmm. after you get hit. And it can continue to still shake Like your brain, if you were, so if you know a little bit of anatomy or if you don't, your brain has fluid inside and that is basically the kind of like the cushion between Mm -hmm. your scalp, your scalp bone and your brain. And when your head shakes or you get a concussion, your brain literally shakes inside. Yeah. Hits the sides of your skull. Yes. And that's why your eyes, that's why they look at your eyes when you get a concussion, because if your eyes are kind of twitching back and forth or if you're dazed or if you don't know what's happening your eyes are glazed over that's mm-hmm. a sign of concussion oh, and yeah. you wanting to sleep that's another sign oh yeah like yeah yeah that's like the the football player the hernandez oh yeah aaron mm-hmm. hernandez yeah he's yeah. the he's one of the killers who they blame concussions yeah because it, it makes you, like, think irrationally. It makes you... Aggression. Aggressive. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole big thing. Like, um, yeah. it's it, We can probably get into it, but we don't have time today. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, 
Um, one of John's friends from high school had recalled several events he had witnessed to. Some instances when his father ridiculed or beat his son without, uh, without being provoked. On one occasion in 1957, he had witnessed John's dad emerging drunk from his basement and began belittling John and hit him for no reason. According to the friend, John never struck back. Right, because I don't think he would ever try to strike back his dad because he loved his dad a lot. Yeah, and it probably made his dad even more angry. Yeah. After attending four high schools during his senior year and never graduating, John dropped out of school. Uh, at the age of 18 in 1960, John became involved in politics, working as the assistant for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. This career move led to John's dad being more critical with John. John's dad would accuse him of uh, accuse him of being a patsy. So back in the day, patsy is like being a deceiver. Mm. Yes. Was he a Republican? <laughs> he was Democratic. But his dad? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're at wars. Uh, that was when John would become more involved in politics to get the acceptance from others that he never got from his dad. Mm. So he essentially became a people pleaser uh, to get acceptance that he could never get from home. Um, and I think it's, a, you know, it's daddy issues, right? Uh, that same year, John's involvement began. His dad bought him a car, which I found was really weird because after all the abuse was reported, but he bought him a car. But it also could be a control thing, too. That, that's what I was going to say is that you're probably going to, I shouldn't, because you're probably going to read it, but wasn't yeah. it like he would <laughs> buy the car and then wouldn't let him drive it or something? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're ahead. So John's dad kept the car under his name until John could pay, uh, finish, uh, until John could finish paying for it. Uh, it took John several years for him to finish paying the car off. John's dad would confiscate the keys from John if he didn't do what was asked. So control, like you said. Yeah. In 1962, John had got a copy of the keys after his dad took away the original set. His dad was pissed, so he took off the di a distributor cap for three days so John couldn't drive the car. And he's over 18 at this time, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he is. So John recalled he felt drained and totally sick after this incident. After this, it prompted John to leave and drive to Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't do it at 16. <laughs> right? Like, I would, but you never know what goes through someone's head when they're being abused by someone they really love, right? Yeah. Abuse is, is a hard thing. Uh, so from here, we are going to talk about many places that he had left and moved to. So this is where... He leaves Las Vegas, goes to this place. We'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> so this is Las Vegas. John found work within the ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an um, attendant at Palm Mortuary. As the mortuary attendant, John slept on a cot behind the embalming room. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. already know where this is going. He worked there for three months and observed morticians embalming bodies. Now, this one, this part, like, got me fucked up because I was like, what? <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> John had later confessed that one evening while he was alone. Get ready. <laughs> he had climbed into the coffin of a deceased teenager male. 
John embraced and caressed the body before he had experienced a shock. Like, yeah. Before he actually, when he found, when he realized that he was fucking in a coffin with a <laughs> dead body, he was like, oh shit. I don't know if it was like in shock that he liked it or oh. if it was in shock that he like was, he scared himself. Oh my god. Yeah. I, I put in here, I put signs of necrophilia. <laughs> signs that you need a new work life balance. <laughs> God, John, stop talking about dead bodies. Yeah. Not work. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, John had called his mom the very next day and asked if his dad would allow him to return home. John's dad agreed, and that same day, uh, John drove back home to Chicago. Wow. Yeah. So we're already off to a pretty gruesome start. He was abused, and then he ran away, and he ran away to a place where I don't think that you would want to be at. I don't know. There's people who are into, like, mortuary. You can go to school for it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you can. You can be, like, an an autopsy technician or whatever. Funeral director. Yeah. Well, and, you know, okay, I I take that remark back. Um, but you would think with his kind of, well, who knows? Who knows what this guy is? This guy was fucked. It's like politics to, yeah, mortuary (laughs) assistant. We won't get in there. Yeah, I know, right? Like, what a difference, right? (laughs) And he was like a people, like, he was a very, he was such a good salesman and he was very into pleasing people so much. Mm -hmm. So it's really weird how he went from being in like, the group center and wanting to have the attention and trying to help people out or not help people out, but trying to please people to being alone with dead bodies. Yeah. Well, this is the seventies, right? It We're in the seventies, sixties, late sixties, early seventies. Okay. Could you have like any career? You um, like back then? Yeah, that. pretty so much. It's like 18 years old, just became like a politician. Mm hmm. You know, 19 years old, become a mortuary assistant. Yep. You'd be whatever the fuck you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Who oh. needs school debt? Yeah. No shit. <laughs> Damn you. Um, okay. So once John returned home, he enrolled himself in the Northwestern Business College. John graduated in 1963 and took a management training. Oh, this was in the early 60s. Sorry. Okay. Um, John graduated in 1963 and took a management trainee position with the Nunbush Shoe Company. As a born salesman, John could talk his way in and out of practically any situation. In 1964, the shoe company transferred him to Springfield, Illinois, and eventually promoted him to manager of his department. He remained there for nearly a year. In March of that year, John became engaged to Mar- uh, Marilyn Meyer, who was a co-worker. I think they only dated for six months, and then he asked her to marry him, mm. and that's when they became engaged. That's normal back then. Yes. <laughs> very, very normal back then. Uh, during their courtship, John had joined the local JCs and worked tirelessly. It seemed like... He would do anything to please them. And in April 1964, John was named Key Man. Uh, This is where things get interesting, okay? That same year, John had experienced his second homosexual encounter 
according to John, after one of his uh, colleagues in the Springfield JCs took him out for drinks, invited him to spend the evening on his sofa, and John had agreed. The colleague had then performed oral sex on John while he was drunk. By 1965, John had risen to the position of vice president of the Springfield JCs. The same year, he was named the third most outstanding JC in the state of Illinois. So in the background, he was, there was things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I, I have a comment about this too. My I think this JC group, especially back then, because back then it was all about drugs and sex and whatever. Mm-hmm. This JC group doesn't sound like a group I want to be a part of. <laughs> and it seems to me like he made it far because, like, like they said, he's a salesman. Mm-hmm. And to top it all off, um, I do think that he had tendencies of wanting a homosexual uh, sex life. Yeah. yeah. But it was, like, so forbidden. It was 60s. taboo back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marilyn's father had subsequently purchased three KFC restaurants, so the girl he's engaged to, in Waterloo, Iowa. At the request of John's uh, father-in-law, John and Marilyn were to move to Waterloo, Iowa for John to take management of the family's chicken restaurant and move into Marilyn's parents' former home. Now, in the Netflix documentary, it was said that his father-in-law was not a big fan of John. But um, it didn't say anywhere else, so I don't know. Yeah, because, like, you would think, because they're not married yet, they're just engaged. No, yeah. So, that's a lot of trust to give to someone you don't like very much. I think I think it was more for the daughter, probably. Yeah, she's probably like, Daddy. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, I love you, I just don't want to be rich. Um, so after settling in, John quickly became a well-known member of the community, according to later accounts in the Waterloo Courier. John had opened a... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. No, this is right. I thought it went ahead. I was like, whoa, my notes are mixed up. I didn't number them. Let's start again. So after settling in, John quickly became a well-known number a member of the community. According to later accounts in the Waterloo Courier, John had opened a club in his basement where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. Although John employed both sexes, he only socialized with the young men. John would give them alcohol before he would make sexual advances. Uh, if the young men would say no, he would claim it was a joke or it was a test of morals. Could you imagine messing with, like, a teenager like that? Like, oh, no, just wanted to make sure you weren't gay. Yeah. And okay. so, and and so this, like, this sounds pretty familiar to the encounter. Oh, thank you, Bailey. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so this sounds familiar to the encounter that he had with that JC member, where that JC member gave him alcohol, and then he uh, performed fellatio on him. Yeah. He's probably, you know, now he's traumatized. He's trying to recreate that. Yeah. He probably liked it, and he probably thought, oh, this is what you do. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Marilyn had given birth to their son on February. So they they married, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Marilyn had given birth to their son on February 1966 and a daughter in March 1967. John, if we get back to back. John described this period of his life as perfect and had finally received his dad's approval. 
And I said, of course he was happy. He got to play happy wife, happy family, and then in the background still have sex sex with young men. Yeah. Like he had both of both world, both, both of best worlds. Yeah, and his dad's approval cuz Yeah. Know, hey dad, I'm married, I have kids, like I'm not gay. Yeah. I'm not fucked up. It's I'm a manager of KFC. I'm a leader of this JC group. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Have it. Like my life's better than yours, dad. And Yep. And so John's parents, when they came to visit in 1966, uh, that is when his dad apologized for the emotional and physical abuse, shaking John's hand um, and said, son, I was wrong about you. And then the murders. And then it all started. (laughs) Um, In Waterloo, John joined the local JCs. He had regularly offered extended hours to the organization on top of his already 12 to 14 hour shifts. He would work managing the three different KFCs. So again, it's like the whole people pleasing thing. Mm -hmm. John would provide the chicken and insisted on being called the colonel. You can't give yourself a nickname. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna give you some chicken. You call me the Colonel, okay? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, there's always that person you work with. Like. Always. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's reported that John and other JCs were involved deeply in wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and jug and druggies. <laughs> druggies. <laughs> That's where the clown kicks yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> no, drug use. Drug use, okay. So back then in like the 70s, like late 60s, early 70s, like drugs were pretty big back then, mm-hmm. like cocaine and ecstasy and whatever. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing back then. And yeah, I feel like this group was just... Partying. Yeah. In August of 1967, John had persuaded Donald Verhees, who was a 15-year-old boy and son to a fellow JC... Um, He had promised Donald that he would show him heterosexual stags, which back then was referred as porn. Yeah, don't go with your creepy boss to look up porn. Yeah, that's gross, right? So the stags, that porn, they were uh, regularly played at JC events. Seems like a big swinger group. That's so... What would you do if you came into a a membership and they were playing porn? I'm not going to kink shame, but like... I just, I would feel so <laughs> I, I'm not, that lifestyle's not for me. No. <laughs> so, right? Hey, you like, ever want to come to my party? It's like, sure, I'll bring some dip. Like. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Yeah, dip. <laughs> Don't tell my mom about pineapple. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> We were walking around Michael's today, and there was, like, all these, like, the summer stuff's out. Oh, it's, okay. like, all these, like, welcome, pineapple, like, oh. pineapple pillows. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Did you, have you ever heard that pineapples are, upside down pineapples are a sign for, like, swingers? Yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that. Because when I would, when I buy pineapples, I put them upside down because I heard it helps them ripen. So I was doing that, and then our friends came over. They're like, you know, that's a sign for being a swinger, right? And I was like, what? What? Because I'm not good at sharing. (laughs) My husband's mine. Sorry. (laughs) Don't touch. Don't touch. 
So after John got Donald to come to the house to watch heterosexual heterosexual steaks, Mm -hmm. John was giving Donald alcoholic drinks while letting Donald watch the porn. John then persuaded Donald to engage in mutual oral sex, adding, and this is what he would say to him, you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with a woman. Yeah. And again, John was a very likable man. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was very persuasive and he was a, he was a salesman. Yeah. So he could make you do whatever he wanted you to do. Yeah. Well, he probably, the 15 year old, probably Donald saw him and he saw, wow, this guy's got it together. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's cool enough to show me porn and give me drinks. Exactly. Like, he has no women. Yeah. Like, it's again, it's a predator thing, right? Yeah. Like he's a fucking asshole. Over the following months, John similarly abused several other youths, including one who had encouraged to have sex with his own wife, Marilyn, before blackmailing him to perform oral sex on him. So that is something that I read on Wikipedia. I haven't seen that on Murderpedia or even on the Netflix show, so I don't know if that statement is true. That he had sex with his wife? That he convinced a a Mm -hmm. younger boy to have sex with his wife. And then he, and then John would blackmail the young boy and to perform oral sex on him or else he would say you had sex with an older woman. So I don't know if that's true or not. So then she would have known exactly. what was going on in the house. Exactly. So I wasn't sure. Yeah. So that one kind of got me a little bit and I was like, oh, well, if he had sex with the wife, then. She must have known. She must have known. Like. Yeah. You don't notice you you notice your husband going into his basement with all these young boys. Yeah. And- like it's super suspicious. Like if mm-hmm. like if you had if you had your husband and then all of a sudden they just had he was just hanging out with younger kids all the time. Yeah. And there's alcohol flowing like it would I would definitely be a little bit more concerned especially when you have kids in the house. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if like maybe he lied to his wife and said that this boy was over 18 maybe. But still, it's like but still. my husband has all these guy friends over. And- yeah, but they were, like, they were big into swinging. Oh, right? right, yeah. So, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, John had tricked several other teenagers into believing he was a commission, a commissioner to conduct homosexual experiments in the interest of scientific research. And he paid them $50 each. So, prostitution. Yes. Manipulation. Absolutely. That's what I wrote down, too. (laughs) Prostitution. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I put down, too. Oh, great minds think alike. In March 1968, Donald reported to his father that John had sexually assaulted him. The dad immediately called the cops, who then arrested John and subsequently charged him with performing oral on Donald and attempted assault of another 16-year-old male named Edward Lynch. John denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. That motherfucker just might as well had tattooed guilty on his forehead because the results came back that he was extremely nervous as hell and when they when he was denying the relations to both young men. Like what is what is your game plan, man? Like again, I think it's a narcissist thing as well because he was like, "Oh yeah, no, like I'm going to pass this. Yeah. Like nothing's wrong with me." You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to do whatever. Cuz I feel like that's how he was. 
And, oh, like, yeah. even in the Netflix series, they play clips of him talking. Mm-hmm. And the way that he talks and even his laugh, it's like, you're a fucking piece of shit. Monster. Awful. Uh, John publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted Donald's dad used these charges as a political move because he was a JC member. Donald's dad was a JC member. Mm-hmm. Now, remember that this dick is a great salesman. And he got people to back him up and said that his and people said that his story was credible, that he didn't do it. Yeah. And then look what happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. But thank goodness it didn't work because on May 10th, 1968, John was um, indicted on the sodomy charges. Yeah. Because everyone was probably so uncomfortable with the topic that they're Mm -hmm. just like, no, no, no. This one, this one happened in our neighborhood. Yeah. And, yeah, yep. this, this is our KXE guy. And- exactly. Like, he would never do this. Yeah. But they charged him. They indicted him. So this piece of shit wasn't going to just sit there and take it. On August 30th, 1968, and this is where he's got, like, you like he's a fucking asshole. Like, just wait till I tell you what he fucking did, okay? So on top of him already being under investigation and indicted for these sodomy charges... Mm-hmm. John had persuaded one of his employees, 18-year-old Russell, uh, Russell, 18-year-old Russell Schroeder, to physically assault Donald to discourage him from testifying. John was to pay Russell $300. So, of course, a young 18-year-old Russell said yes. Mm-hmm. And in early September, he uh, Russell had convinced Donald to go to a park He then sprayed Donald with mace, and then he beat him up. Amazingly, Donald escaped and reported it to the police, and and he identified Russell. The police arrested Russell that same day. At first, Russell had denied, but then soon, very soon after, Mm -hmm. he had confessed that John uh, was going to pay him to assault Donald for money. Yeah, that sounded right, didn't it? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Police then arrested John and laid an additional charge for hiring Russell to assault and intimidate Donald. Again, it's a narcissist thing. Yeah. And, like, what was his plan? Like, basically... An 18-year-old to beat the shit out of a 16-year-old and not Yeah, he, he probably thought that, you know what, this Russell kid, I employ him... I get let him, you know, I'm the cool boss doing whatever. And I probably have him convinced that I didn't do anything. Yeah. And he probably thought that Russell was going to do it. And have loyalty when exactly caught. Yeah. But good for Russell for confessing, but bad for you to try to do this for $300. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a lot of money. It is. Back then, yeah, it was. <laughs> On September 12, 1968, John was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluation at the Psychiatric Hospital of the University of Iowa. Two doctors examined John over 17 days and concluded that John had an antisocial personality disorder, which is the clinical term, according to Wikipedia, for sociopath and or uh, psychopathy. Oh, yeah. Antisocial behavior. Yep. Yeah. And he was unlikely to benefit any kind of uh, therapy or medical treatment. His behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict in society. Doctors also concluded John was mentally stable to stand trial. Yeah. 
So that you already have two doctors who had medically examined him and basically said he will strike again. Like this isn't yeah. this isn't going to be a one time thing. Like he will do this again. But again, the justice system falls through the cracks, especially back then. The system isn't like even now, like to this day, it's still not as great. But mm-hmm. back then, it was very nonchalant, especially when it comes to, or especially when it came to the gay community. Oh yeah, and those doctors were probably like, "No, he's a psychopath. Like lock yeah. him up." And they're like, "Well, we can't." Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's and crazy. Like, yeah. It's they failed them. They they failed these poor kids. Yeah. And there it's like if it's split. It's split in the psychology community where people who are diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, like mm-hmm. you know, psychopathy and sociopathy. Yeah. Um, whether or not they can be cured or not. There's yeah. people who think, you know, you're a psychopath, like there's nothing we can do for you. Yeah. Um, but then there's doctors who are like, no, anyone can be cured. Exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's a big discussion to have. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. November 7th, 1968, John pleaded guilty to only one count of sodomy in relations to Donald, but not guilty to the other charges to the other young boys. John then claimed Donald was the one who offered himself and that he acted out of curiosity. Uh, his story was not believed. No shit, you fucker. <laughs> there's an adult and there's a child. Exactly. <laughs> like, who is supposed to know right from wrong here? Yeah. Right. December 3rd, 1968, John was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. That same day, Marilyn filed for divorce, requesting she would be awarded the couple's home, property, sole custody of the kids, and alimony. So that property that they lived in was her, technically her family's home Mm -hmm. and they moved into it. And then eventually they would pay him, blah, blah, blah. So she got the home and she basically got everything she requested. Um, The uh, divorce was finalized on September 18th, 1969. John was super angry and told Marilyn he did not want to see the kids or her and that they were dead to him. Yeah. You know, you're the pedophile and they're in the wrong for abandoning you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, fuck off. (laughs) During his incarceration, John um, rapidly got a reputation for being a a model prisoner. So remember, he likes to please people. Mm -hmm. Within months of his arrival, he rose to the position of head cook. So in the docuseries on Netflix, they do have interviews um, and they also have uh, inmates who were in that prison with uh, John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. And this is what one of the fellow inmates did say. If you mess with John, you can bet you will have something in your food. So mm-hmm. he basically, him getting the head cook basically gave him like a power trip. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, didn't do something that John liked, he would fucking mess with your food. Oh, and of course, at, in prison, you have to eat what you get. Like, there's no choosing when you want to eat and when you don't. If you don't eat, you don't eat, and you don't get any kind of anything else. Yeah. Um, There was even an interview done with the same prisoner saying that the same inmate also, so the same uh, person who was in the jail with him also Mm -hmm. reported another story that there was another inmate. um, So John was walking by, and there was uh, two inmates. One of them was giving the other one fellatio which is a blowjob. And John went over and he kicked him and beat him up for doing that. 
Forgiving. forgiving the other inmate that because there was two inmates on the mm-hmm. side and one of them was giving the other one a blowjob and john saw it and he got mad and he kicked the guy off while he was on his knees and he kicked the guy and he was hitting him because he was doing acts of homosexual of like he was doing homosexual acts yeah so which is really weird because he is gay well it's probably a shame thing like yeah you know, him seeing it. Yeah. But. Yeah. And it's probably not with a younger boy. So he didn't thought it was, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't his MO. Yeah. Right. Well, he probably, you know, it's like those things where you, you, um, oh God, what is that term? I can't think of the term. It's when, you know, something that you know is wrong. Like, it's not wrong, but something you feel is wrong. Mm-hmm. But you, you want it. It happens in a lot of, like, back in the day. Yeah. Um, It was, like, a, aggression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't want to, like, see it because, you know, that's his own. That's yeah. No, it, it's fine. I, I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. like, it's, it's kind of like a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, he... He was told and he was beaten that it was wrong, but it's something that he desires. So when he sees it, he gets mad because he can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So in jail, John had also joined the inmate JC chapter and that motherfucker, he increased the membership in that jail from 50 to 650 members. Holy shit. Yeah. This was less than 18 months that he did this. 600 members? 650 members. Holy from 50. And he did that in a matter of 18 months. Uh, he was also known to have secured an increase in inmates' daily pay in prison mess hall and have supervised um, supervised several projects. And then... Oh, there we go. Uh, he had... And have... And have supervised several projects to improve conditions for inmates in summer of 1969. John had also overseen the installation of a miniature golf course in the prison rec yard. Like he should, like he should have stayed in jail because like he was doing all these things. Like it felt like he had order. Mm -hmm. So he did all these amazing things because. Aren't you supposed to like pick at rocks in prison? Yeah. Who's who's allowing these guys no, but I think, but they were, but in this jail, he was doing all these good things for these inmates mm-hmm. and he was doing well for himself. So it's like, you should not be released. Who is the warden? warden right. Let's find out. <laughs> Being you up, boy. Um, so in June 1969, John was denied parole. So to look better for his next parole hearing in May 1970, he completed 16 high school courses to which he obtained his high school diploma in November 1969. Wow. On Christmas Day in 1969, John's dad passed away from cirrhosis of the liver. John took this extremely hard. He requested for a supervised compassionate leave to attend the funeral, but was denied. In that Netflix special, John had claimed that he was not told of his dad's passing until later. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that he kind of... Him up. Yeah. 
On June 18, 1970, John was granted parole after only serving 12, uh, 18 months of his 10-year sentence. He was yeah. on a 12-month uh, probation serving. Yeah, how yeah. fucking ridiculous is that? Isn't that fucked up? 18 months out of 10 years. Like, that's that's one-tenth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's nothing. Like, oh my God. Right? On his release, (sighs) a friend and fellow JC member, uh, Clarence Lane, picked John up. He believed John was innocent. Within 24 hours of John's release, he had moved back to Chicago and worked for a construction company and started his own construction business as well. He was also a cook uh, part-time as well. You, You know what? Like, you think about it and... He was literally declared a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, there are people who prison is a wake-up call. And, yeah. you know, it does turn their life around. But when you're a declared psychopath where literally, like, in the description, it's like he will do whatever he can to please people. Like, that's, um, that's like, um, I'm so bad at names. Um, and, uh. Ed Kemper, mm-hmm. how he was literally locked up as a child, and he yeah. studied how the psychologists, like, what they wanted from him. He yeah. just said, like, and did everything, and he was released, too. Yep. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. So this new business that John had opened, so John's, uh, so he opened a part-time company, which was called P... PDM contractors, which stood for painting, decorating, and maintenance. He would do the construction contracts in the evenings and during the work days as a cook. In mid-1973, John quit his job as a cook and made his business a full-time role. So just remember that because his construction company comes into play very, very much so. In February 12, 1971, John was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who had claimed that he was um, lured, lured, <laughs> lured. <laughs> lured at the Chicago Greyhound Terminal, which in that Netflix documentary, it says that that's where a lot of the younger boys would hang out. Mm-hmm. And so John knew that, and that's where he would go and he would try to get these boys. After John had persuaded the boy to come see him, John drove him to his home where he attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed the charges because the teenage boy failed to appear in court. You have a man that was just charged with 10 years of sodomy and, mm-hmm. you know. But, no, but the boy didn't show up, so he never got arrested. He never got charges. June 22nd of that year, John was arrested and charged again with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. This came from another young boy who claimed that John had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him to the car, and forced him to perform oral sex. The charges were dropped after the youth attempted to blackmail John. So again, in this Netflix special, which I, I get a lot of, so I'm, I'm going to be referring a lot to the Netflix special because that special really concentrates on how he would get his victims mm. and what his victims went through. And a lot of the ones who did survive, that's from our second part. That's what we're going to kind of get into more. Yeah. And I'm going to refer back to that Netflix special because they had a lot of information in there. Mm-hmm. Um. So John was said to have a car that looked exactly like a cop car. Mm -hmm. 
He had a he had a flight on top of his car to look like a cop car, and he also had several jackets that had badges on there as well to make it look like he was an undercover cop. Yeah. So that's how he was able to trick these boys into coming with him and performing oral sex or performing sexual acts because he would say you'll you'll get arrested. Yeah. And so, here, here's a tip for everyone: if you're ever driving down like a desolate road, mm-hmm. and a cop tries to pull you over you can call 911 yes and confirm that you're being pulled over a hundred percent and just to make sure because there are scary stories out there that mm-hmm. there are people who would fake being police officers mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they're kidnapped or they're raped or they're assaulted yeah right so keep keep diligent people Uh, The system had failed, and the Iowa board did not know any of these incidents. And eight months later, John's parole ended, and the following month, John's records were sealed. Of course. Of course. So just awful. In July, John remarried to a newly divorced Carol Hoff, whom he had met through mutual friends. Another, Another source said that they had dated briefly in high school. And with financial assistance from his mom, John moved into a house in Des Plaines. This will also be known as the main home of where John Wayne Gacy did a lot of his horrid shit. Mm-hmm. It's, and, yeah. yeah. In the <laughs> 70s, you couldn't just Google someone's name. No, no. Technology wasn't the same yeah. back then. So Carol had two daughters from his previous from her previous marriage. Uh, John's mom had moved out of the home shortly after John and Carol's wedding. In the Netflix series, John says that Carol knew about his past and about him going to jail and what he was charged with. Mm-hmm. And he said to her, so in one source, he said he told her that she, he was bisexual and that when they had sex on Mother's Day, she told him or he told her that she was they weren't going to have sex again. That was the very last time, which is kind of weird. And yeah. even in the docuseries as well, it shows that they were happy together, but they weren't like partners. Okay, so there they were was like no companions. Yeah, yeah. So it was really, it was a really weird relationship. She probably knew he was gay, mm-hmm. and and she was newly divorced. Yeah, and back then being divorced was very hard for women, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So who knows? John unfortunately had a talent for business and ass kissing. <laughs> so according to Displane's journal, John was a sharp businessman who would often undercut rivals by hiring a number of high school age employees to cut his costs so his business grew. Yes. John spent a lot of his leisure time hosting elaborate street parties for friends, neighbors, and even dressing as a clown and entertaining children at local hospitals. So we're going to kind of get into why he was a clown. Don't trust the man in the clown suit. Right? (laughs) So John was a member of the local Moose Club. John became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club whose members had regularly performed at fundraising events, parades, and volunteered at Children's Hospital. In late 1975, John joined the clown club, and that was when Pogo the Clown was created. In the show, he said that when he would dress as a clown, he could do whatever he wanted. So if a woman came and sat on his lap he could literally molest the woman and no one would say anything because he was a clown and he even says that (sighs) oh Oh, right my paranoia now I would not do well back then no I would never go sit on a clown lap and I would never let my children go hang out at a greyhound terminal like no 
So this is the last part before we end part one. Okay. He immersed himself in he immersed himself into the JCs and Democratic Party. Um, so that's where he really got into partying again and being part of the JC community. Okay. Carol had observed that John was starting to bring home teenage boys into his garage in the early hours. She also found pornography, uh, gay pornography, men's wallets, and IDs in the house. When she would confront John. All he would say to her in an angry voice was, it was none of your business. And that is the end of part one. Dun, dun. <laughs> Not so much of a cliffhanger, but um, it's it's a lot to uncover. And I feel like this next part two is definitely going to be a very um, hard one to listen to. That's a story of part one of John Wayne Gacy. Yes. The biggest piece of shit that will be the bigger piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> He's dead, but... Yeah. 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 <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Only prisons, you know, knew... All, if only the prisoners knew he was a pedophile and he could have been beaten in prison. Right? Only if he could get handled by those guys. Yeah. So... We're going to end it at that, and that is part one, and we will be back next week with part two. Yes. Yes, until then, thanks for listening. Yes, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Coffee Spooks and Murder. Don't forget to check us out on our Instagram. At Coffee Spooks and Murder. Our Twitter. At CSM underscore podcast. And we want to hear from you, too. Send us your tales and suggestions to our email at coffeespooksandmurder at gmail.com. Till next time. Bye.